Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So when I was a little kid, one of my favorite movies was Aladdin, uh, the animated Aladdin. And I think what captivated me about the movie was just this idea that one day you could find a magic lamp with a genie inside. And if you rub the lamp, the genie would pop out, I am at your service, unlimited power at your beck and call. You have three wishes. And if that happened, what would you wish for? What would you want? You can have anything you want if you rub the lamp. Um, This morning, we're actually going to look at one of those rare times in the Bible where God is kind of like that, Um, where he appears to one of his followers with a special, extravagant, mind-boggling offer. 1 Kings chapter 3. God appears to the newly crowned King Solomon in a dream and says, ask what I shall give you. Anything. Ask what I shall give you. Um, Our God is a good and generous father who invites us to make our requests known to him. Um, Obviously, he's not always this kind of genie in a bottle giving us whatever we want. Um, But I want to look at this odd story today uh, in 1 Kings 3 and really just ask two simple questions. Um, Ask them today. I would say take them with you this week. uh, Pray them through. Journal about them. Um, one, what do you want? It's a perceptive question. Over and over, Jesus will actually encounter people. What do you want? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And then secondly, as you do that inventory, why do you want it? What's the reason for that? Um, Again, we're going to look at this primarily in the context of 1 Kings 3, uh, this narrative about King Solomon, but I do want to think about them in the larger context Um, of Christian discipleship. Um, And we're not going to be in and out of Romans 8. We'll be back there next week. But if you heard the reading in Romans 8, man, we hear about a good and generous God who is conforming us to the image of his son. That's our ultimate destiny. So um, let's look at this section in 1 Kings 3. Um, First of all, let's be honest. How many of you have done a systematic study of 1 Kings? Yes, Paula Francis. I knew we'd have one. Um, Okay, Uh, the exception proving the rule, um, we are not in a very well-known, well-trafficked section of the Bible, are we? First Kings, if you have a Bible, you're probably going, man, where's the table of contents? Where exactly is this book and what is happening? Um, So I want to just get our bearings a little bit before we hit this uh, sequence with Solomon. Um, The first two chapters of First Kings... Uh, deals with the transfer of power from King David to King Solomon. Uh, If you remember, Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. Um, The transfer of power, um, well, it's it's like an R-rated show. (laughs) Like, it's bloody, and it's complex, and it's confusing. Following the last wishes and instructions of King David, his father, uh, Solomon goes on a killing spree, settling accounts within the nation of Israel. 
Uh, he wipes out former enemies. He wipes out rivals to the throne. It's not particularly unjust, but it, it's just bloody. And it makes us uncomfortable, I think, to read. Um, most of the people, that they were guilty of grievous violations. So Solomon takes them out. Um, it's like, if you'll allow me to use this illustration, even though we're in church, it's like the Godfather trilogy. Uh, where, where Vito dies, and, and Michael, Al Pacino, he takes over and he settles all of his father's scores. That's what Solomon is doing uh, here in 1 Kings. Um, and it's interesting because, of course, Israel uh, was always supposed to be set apart by having God himself as their leader. Uh, when God redeemed them out of slavery in Exodus, he led them in the wilderness, gave them the law, provided for them. The idea was you're going to be special. You're going to be different. You're going to be set apart. The Lord himself will lead you. And the people said, no thanks. We'd rather be like everyone else. Can you please give us a king? And when they did, God said, do you know what kings are like? Do you know what you're asking for? Okay, here you go. Um, and so if you read First and Second Kings, it's the history of Israel's uh, monarchy and really just the, the sentence that would define all both of these books of the Bible is that we cannot and should not trust in human leaders. We can only trust in God. And you have this picture where uh, the worst of human leadership fails the people. And even the best of human leadership still comes up short and fails the people, um, which that brings us to Solomon. Um, our initial introduction to Solomon is pretty favorable. Verse 3, um, it says, Solomon loved the Lord. Like, okay, this is starting off well. He's doing good. He's walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings uh, at the high places. Um, Solomon is presented as a faithful son, a faithful worshiper of God. Um, the only kind of caveat is these high places. Um, and later in his life, Solomon will be enticed by idolatry. Here it looks like the real caveat is not that he's being idolatrous in the high places, even though that's often you know, a bad signal in the scriptures. Um, the idea is, hey, <laughs> you're not worshiping yet in the temple that you're going to build. Um, they're still in this pre-stage, this temporary uh, phase. Um, and really, the, the critique is that the temple is still waiting to be built. Um, and I think you can make that case because after he makes offering to the Lord, the Lord comes to him in a dream. I don't think he's up there doing idolatrous sacrifices. And the Lord is like, great, let me come talk to you. No, God comes to him in a dream. And he gives him a chance to ask for anything he wants. Anything at all, it seems. Again, if you could have anything in the whole world that you wanted, what would it be? What would it be? It's a fascinating question. What do you want? Ask of me anything, and I will give it to you. Um, James K.A. Smith, he's a philosopher, a professor at Calvin College, says this is the biggest question anyone can ask in life. Because our deepest desire, what we ultimately really want, reveals who we truly are. Our deepest desire 
reveals what we truly love. Here's what he writes. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity. The wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. See, God isn't just asking Solomon what he wants, like a waiter who comes to your table to take your order. He's, he's, he's investigating who Solomon is by what he asks for. And to Solomon's credit, he does really well. He asks for wisdom. He wants an understanding mind. Um, literally in Hebrew, it says a listening heart. The ability to discern uh, good and evil. That's what he asked for. So the next question, not just what do you want, but why do you want it? Well, the next few verses, Solomon's request shows that he already possesses a measure of the wisdom that he requests. Um, number one, he said, I, I've been set here as king. God has given uh, me a task that I cannot fulfill in my own strength. He, he says, in terms of ruling, I am but a little child who doesn't know how to go out and come in. Now, Solomon's not like a boy king. <laughs> He's just saying, when I look at the immense task before me, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to do it. Solomon actually understands um, his vocation and where he's been placed, the stewardship call on his life. And he goes, I can't do this in my own strength. I need this supernatural help uh, from the Lord. Um, he's humble. Um, and he's aware. Uh, number two, he has a big job. This isn't just about wearing a crown. It's governing this entire people. And he wants to serve them. He wants to be a good king. He wants to fulfill uh, his duty. And so number three, he asked for tools that he lacks to do the work that God has given him to do. Um, that's a fascinating idea. That if you actually can discern God's call on your life, vocationally, um, what's he called you to in terms of marriage or family or singleness? Where is he calling you uh, as a friend? What kind of work would you do um, that, that syncs up your gifts and talents and the opportunity uh, to be a blessing to others, um, what would it be like, you know, here's what I, I think God is calling me to. Here's what I need to accomplish this task. Here's what would help me glorify the Lord in the things he has put in front of me. That's what Solomon is doing here when he asks for an understanding mind, uh, a listening heart. Um, and it has, it's interesting, wisdom, um, wisdom and knowledge always come, they seem closely related, but they're different. Um, knowledge can be acquired. Um, I think of knowledge like flashcards. <laughs> You're just, hey, I just need to get this in my brain. Um, wisdom is something a little bit more nuanced. Um, it, it's how do we make decisions once we know things? What do we do? with the knowledge that we have? How, how do we meet the challenge um, of new situations? And how do we navigate the intricacies of people and conflict and, and things in front of us? It, it's more than uh, just knowledge. Um, Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, once said that science is organized knowledge. Uh, wisdom is organized life. 
Similarly, Charles Dickens, um, I, if I'm going to talk about science, I've got to bring in literature, you know that. Um, it says, a loving heart is the truest wisdom. That's what we're aiming for here. Um, Solomon is not pursuing um, intellectual vainglory, ivory tower acclaim. He wants wisdom for the work that God has given him to do. Uh, one pastor writing on this says, the heart of Solomon's concern uh, with wisdom is the state of his heart. Genuine wisdom is not only cunning or the slick ability to get one's way, but arises from a heart directed to God and his ways. And it occurs to me that we all <laughs> would do well to pray this prayer. Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you grant us a listening and understanding heart, the kind of wisdom that we need? The wisdom of a heart directed to God and his ways. The wisdom to be equipped to do the work God has given us to do. Later in the New Testament, um, we have this idea that wisdom is a gift that God gives generously. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. We ask for wisdom from the Lord. Um, and we can trust that uh, our good and generous God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and can equip us and guide us for the work that he has given us to do. Um, the other thing, and this is a little bit of a side bit, but uh, it, it occurred to me um, this week, somehow, even though it's July, is back to school. <laughs> Anyone else's house doing back to school stuff right now? We have meet the teacher in the morning and uh, the bus rolls up on Wednesday. Um, it's worth thinking about what in the world is the purpose of school? Uh, whether it's you know, public school, private school, homeschool, university, uh, there's lots of ways to be formed and educated. What are we trying to do? I would say that we are trying to impart wisdom, not just mere knowledge. Um, there's actually, I, I want to read this to you. Uh, there's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, it's on page 661, and it's uh, prayer 49 for schools, colleges, and universities. Um, and I would say partly, it, this could be a good thing to look up and just pray over the next few days and weeks um, as school kind of kicks. We're, we're kind of a school town, right, um, here in Athens. Here's what it says, Almighty God, by your gift alone, we come to wisdom and true understanding. Look with favor, we pray, on our universities, colleges, and schools, that knowledge may be increased among us, and wholesome learning flourish and abound. Bless those who teach and those who learn, and grant that in humility of heart they may ever look to you, the fountain of all wisdom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's how we think about education. Um, I see some of our teachers nodding uh, along. Uh, we want to be praying for you. We want to support you in this calling you have to help call forth wisdom and sound learning, um, to help folks grow and mature and flourish. And this text and the New Testament would say, ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord in all of the back-to-school preparations, um, don't miss praying to the Lord uh, for help, uh, praying for kids and grandkids and those who we know and love. Um, 
And it looks like here in 1 Kings 3, it's just this neat, nice little story, right? Solomon hears from the Lord in the dream, asks for what you want. I want wisdom. Here's why. And it says, and it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And then look what the text goes on to say. God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. In verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. It's a wonderful story. Um, actually reminds me a little bit of Matthew 6. Verse 33 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, and it's not this promise that, you know, we've got a cosmic vending machine in the sky. <laughs> um, but it's this idea of where's your heart directed? Are you seeking the things of the Lord? Are you seeking them first? And then watch what follows. Watch the goodness that comes. And they certainly were most focused on the goodness that would come in this life. But actually, our Romans 8 passage says, hey, by the way, <laughs> whatever comes in this life, high, low, good, bad, suffering, joy, you are being conformed to the image of his son. By the Holy Spirit, God is undertaking a project to make you like Jesus forever, to dwell with Jesus forever the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Because Solomon, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, man, they're just the story of even the best of these human leaders letting God's people down and leaving them waiting for not David's son Solomon, but great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. David's true and long-awaited heir, who died for our sins and rose again in victory. Um, this gives us that context as we think about what's going on in these early chapters. It's not about the glory of Israel's kings. It's about their bankruptcy. The prophetic message of these books of history, their role in the overall story of the Bible, is trying to dismantle Israel's confidence in everything but the omnipotent mercy and patience of God. And, and, and I wonder, are there things we trust in, even good things, more than we're trusting in the Lord? That we rely on to take care of us, that we rely on uh, to provide for us. Because even the best of the best here, King David, his son, wealthy, wise King Solomon, they don't have happy endings. They don't finish well. One pastor says the opening chapters, they highlight the wisdom of Solomon Wisdom being the royal virtue par excellence, yet his wisdom does not present, prevent him from falling into sustained idolatry. And when he finishes his reign, the kingdom is divided in two, and it's in utter disarray, even with this God-given wisdom. Solomon started out with good intentions. He aces this test, but what he wanted ended up being different as he aged. He lost his taste and desire for the things of God and was led away and enticed by vainglory in this world. It's this reminder to be cautious of what does our heart want. 
Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What do you want? Is, is what you really want what you think you want? Or will it just fade over time like it did uh, with Solomon? Dr. Ashley Knoll, who's a, um, a tricky Reformation Anglican scholar, says the trouble with human nature is we are born with a heart that loves ourselves over and above everything else in this world, including God. That's why if left to ourselves, we will always love those things that make us feel good about ourselves, even as we depart more and more from God and his ways. Therefore, God must intervene in our lives in order to bring salvation. And Romans 8 tells us that he has in the person and work and ministry of the Lord Jesus. First and foremost, we, we don't just need to be made smart. We don't need to just be made wise. The witness of the Bible is that true wisdom, true righteousness is found in the Lord Jesus. The fount of every blessing, the fount of all wisdom, the fount of our salvation. I hope if you get away and spend some time going, what do I want? That the answer is Jesus. That you want more and more of the Lord. That you want him to be at work in your life. You, you want him to be at work making you like Jesus, conforming us to the image of his son. Filling us with wisdom and knowledge and peace and every good and perfect gift that comes down from our heavenly father. And then as those resting in the perfect wisdom of Christ, the perfect work of Christ, that's when we can discern the work that God has given us to do and ask him to equip us for that work by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Again, almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour out upon us the abundance of your mercy anew forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, great David's greater son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 